0: Drop the puck, don't suck. Welcome to another episode of the Styles and Friends podcast. And today, very special guest, a uh, wonderful person that goes back to my days at Western in the philosophy and religion department, the wonderful and talented Claire Murray. Claire, how are you?
1: I'm doing great today. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. It's a weird time here in North Carolina, especially in the area that I'm living in. They're calling for more snow. And if that happens, it'll be four weekends in a row. And so people are losing their minds. <laughs> they're buying all the bread. They're buying all the milk. I'm like, you guys need to slow down. We're okay.
1: <laughs> Everyone's just chugging milk and shoveling bread. And they're like, it's snowing. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was so strange. Like last week, we, they called for more snow. And so the two previous snows that we had, the first one uh, was all ice.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: it's. Yeah, it stayed around for a little while. It snowed and then it sleeted on top of the snow. And so, you know, it kind of formed a crust. And so it stayed for two or three days. And then by the middle of the week, it was gone.
1: Mm, Yeah. Then
0: they started saying, okay, we're going to get hit with another winter uh, storm. And that one actually had about two or three inches of snow for for our, our area. And it had big snowflakes, like good, nice powdery snow. And then, of course, it melted by the middle of the week. And then last weekend, you know, right before the beginning of February, they said, we're going to get some more snow. And (laughs) of course my wife is like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm ready for spring to be here. And it dusted us just a little and it was all burned off by 10 o'clock that next morning. So it's been, it's been really crazy here in North Carolina as far as the weather goes. I mean, and, and you're, where are you at right now? Austin, is that where, where you're out of? Yeah,
1: I'm in Austin, Texas, and we're actually expecting snow as well, um, Night oh, and uh i don't know if if you heard but last year there's a terrible ice storm this time of year and everything like the entire state of texas got shut down um and the power grid couldn't sustain the state so pretty much everyone like most people in the state in the state lost power you know and then pipes froze and burst and gas you know like gas stopped too and so Everyone right now is a little scared, but it shouldn't be as bad as it was last year. <laughs> so Well,
0: hopefully it's not. Uh, praying that everybody uh, comes through that very safely. I know that, especially like in the Charlotte area, and I'm sure you're you're aware of this too, it's not like it, when we were living in Culloway, those places know how to handle... Winter precipitation, right. they get the snow plows out and they take care of it. In other places, they're just standing around scratching their heads, like, "What do we do again? Yeah. How does this work?"
1: Yeah, the poor, the poor cacti in Texas didn't stand a chance. There's massive, massive fatalities with the cactus out here. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> man, that's crazy. So you're in Austin. Uh, what kind of, you know, I know that you've been out west before. This isn't your first stint out there. What kind of led you to want to travel back out West?
1: Yeah. So, um, after I, uh, I moved to Texas and, um, it's it, the landscape out here is So different, like, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, lived there for, for 18 years and, you know, went to college in the mountains with you out at Western. I, I think when I got to Texas, I started to get, I was just really fascinated with the landscape out here. So there's, there's prickly pear cactus everywhere. Like, you can't go on a hike in the part of Texas that I'm in and not get something stuck to you, which is, you know, I don't know, good. You know, it's it's not it's not that great, but it's also kind of whimsical, too, in its own way when you're like pulling out cactus pines. But but I actually started going out west, I think it was maybe six years ago now. Um, I went to Big Bend for the first time and Big Bend National Park. Have you been before or have you heard of it?
0: No, no. So the only, the only experience I have is I've been to Las Vegas and uh, we went to the strip, but then we also took some time and went out to Red Rock Canyon, which is just North of Vegas, kind of toward the Utah side. And we, we drove through there and, and you're right. I mean, the, the landscape is completely different. I took pictures and I look back at the pictures and I almost feel like they're not real. Right. Like I look at them and I go, this is, this can't be real. Right. But it is. And I know that I've been there and just to see the rock formations and you can see the different layers of uh, rock that has come together to form these outcrops. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's unreal. And like, like in Las Vegas, um, at the Red Rock Canyon, you can see the different layers of time as you move down these mountains and they just kind of jut up out of nowhere
1: oh yeah so you
0: like you'll just be driving through the desert and then all of a sudden you've got these mountains right that are in front of you and you can see basically the whole map of you know time in these mountains through the different layers of rock it's absolutely insane yeah
1: exactly and big bend is like that i think it's actually called a desert island because you have three different biomes in one place, right? So you have the um, the biome of like the Rio Grande River because it's it's right along the Rio Grande River in that little bend um, way out west in Texas. And um, so it's like right next to Mexico. So along the river you have like, you know, it's it's like really lush and you have sort of typical like Rio Grande Valley vegetation. And then in the park, you have the Chihuahuan Desert, right, which is kind of like a typical dry desert. And then in the middle of it, you have this really random mountain range that they call a desert island, basically. And as you get up there, there are pine trees, there are black bears. Like a lot of, a lot of people don't know that you can find black bears in Texas. Um, and there, there are these, uh, these uh, animals called ringtails, which I've been recently obsessed with, where it's not... It's a. It's not a raccoon, but it kind of looks like a raccoon. But it kind of looks like a fox, but it's not a fox. And it has a ringtail, kind of like a yeah, like a raccoon would. And it's related to like nothing else. Um, but they're like this really'
0: <laughs> So it's a Pokemon. Yeah, it's
1: basically po- that's legit. What I when I first saw one, I was like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> um, but they have, ah. but they have those out there, and um, yeah, it's just really fascinating. I think the thing that I love about the desert. Um, well, so one of the reasons why I started going out to the desert was actually, um, for Lent. Um, I, Oh,
0: that's very cool.
1: Yeah. So the first time I went, I was like, you know what? Lenten season. I've been wanting to check out big bend for years. It's like a seven hour drive from Austin. So it is not close by. You have to really make an effort for it. And so I planned this whole trip. The first year I went by myself with my dog. I do not recommend taking dogs to Big Bend. You have to be very careful with dogs in desert climates. Because, um, yeah, my poor dog, his paws got so torn up. Um, but the first time I went, yeah, I just drove down there by myself, camped by myself. And, yeah, just spent the weekend kind of thinking about, like, what I wanted to be focusing on for Lent. And so it kind of became a yearly tradition for me to go during the Lenten season before Easter and um, and one of the really cool things is that, is that that's actually when everything is in bloom kind of ironically enough because it's springtime right so yeah. during like the Lenten season which is you know kind of like about a dryness you know and you know like yeah. being in the desert 40 days, 40 nights, all that that's actually when everything is alive and so I started to kind of feel like a lot of kind of connection with that time. And it just like fostered a lot of kind of thought and meditation and connection with God and stuff. Um,
0: That's amazing Like to me. And, and we talked about, I've talked about this with other people, the connection between spirituality and nature, I feel like is so strong. Right. And, and, and you, and I feel it here. Like when I go to Western North Carolina and I go to the mountains and I go camping and, you're just in nature and you're fully immersed in it, but there's something different about the romanticism of the West. Yeah. And it's, it's something about the vastness or like how big it is. Cause when you go out there, it's just like, you can see for miles and then the sky is so big and it's, it's, it's just very different.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, there's just like so much to learn from it. Like it's so vast, it's so desolate. Big Bend in particular is my favorite, it's my favorite national park. Um, I've got a, I actually have a tattoo of the Ocotillo plant, which is um, really common in Big Bend. And it's this plant that um, it just, it kind of looks like it's really spindly and it's it's about six or seven feet tall. And it just looks like kind of spiny sticks sticking out of the ground but whenever it rains it blooms these bright green leaves and these beautiful red flowers on top and it just kind of makes me think you know so much of the desert is like plants kind of in hibernation like waiting for the blessing of rain you know and it just is really really beautiful to kind of think about the spiritual metaphor there you know
0: oh i fully agree and and when you were saying that it it didn't it, like it dawned on me, there's this verse in Jeremiah where I think it's in the 29th chapter, I think, and he talks about how the Lord like plants you in certain situations,
1: yeah, like in
0: that space. And so that, and like I'm looking at a picture of the Okotia plant right now, yeah. and and you see these plants and they're just kind of by themselves, right? Like in this one singular place. And you know that I feel like that's a good you know analogy or good metaphor for that plant is you know it was put there for a reason. And, and we are put in this, on this earth and in our lives for particular reasons. And so I, I don't know, I just felt like that was a big connection between the point you were making in in this plant and kind of where my thought process was going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's inspiring to be in a place. Like, I don't think there's a place on earth that loves water more than the desert, you know, just always grateful for it. You never, um, I had a friend who lived down in Utah and she's like, you never complain about rain. You know, so it's profound to think of these plants that are, like you said, stationary. they're there and they're just waiting, you know, like waiting for the blessing of rain. And then when it gets it, it comes alive with gratitude. It's kind of cheesy, but I love it. You know, it's
0: beautiful. I mean, it's I I mean, that's so much of how life is, because, you know, we spend we can spend all of our time trying to make things happen. But at some points, it's just better to wait. Mm-hmm. and just receive you know the blessings that we are receiving and sometimes it may be you know that we are in a spot in our lives where it's very desolate but that rain will come it's kind of like you know the the sun's going to rise every day it's right. not it's not like it's going to stop you know and and eventually there will be some kind of relenting rain that will refresh us and we can carry on then
1: yeah right exactly and yeah, so the Big Bend was kind of my gateway to that, you know, and like my kind of gateway to the desert and kind of seeing it as kind of a pretty profound spiritual place. And um, and I've just kind of been obsessed with the climate ever since. My skin hates it whenever I'm out there. <laughs> it's It's a little rough. Like I never come back. I never come back from the desert like looking great. I'm always like sunburned and like scratched up and scraggly and like, you know, but I always come back feeling great. So that's, that was kind of how I started going out to the desert. And then I spent time in New Mexico, Arizona, um, um, a few years ago, but then this past year I took that two week road trip where, um, I did New Mexico, Arizona, California, went all the way up to Yosemite and did some, oh my gosh. did some rock. Have you been to Yosemite before?
0: No. See, see, we wanted to do the furthest West I've been. Is to Alaska because that's that's about as far west as you can go. Alaska, yeah, but Alaska is very the way that the temperate deciduous forest is there. It reminds me a lot of Western North Carolina. It's just everything is bigger. So the mountains are bigger, the waterfalls are bigger. There's just it's literally the last frontier. I mean, that's what it is. You know, coined as it is the last frontier. If to me, if you want to go get lost and have no one, you know, bother you, that's where, you know, people say you can go to Wyoming or Montana, Yeah, and, you know, people leave you alone. But if you really want to be off the grid, off the grid, you just go to Alaska. Yeah. Because no one's going to go up there and look for you if you just want to be left alone. And and just traveling there, when I, I think I went when I was 18. That's what my uh, grandmother got me for my graduation from high school. She wanted to take me on a trip. And so I asked to go on a cruise and we did the inside passage and you know you get off the ship and you can go and the stops that you're at are kind of touristy, but we did like some hikes and we went up to a couple of different waterfalls and a couple of different graveyards of you know frontier people wow. and miners and prospectors that had been in that area like in the early 1800s, you know, middle 1800s um as they were prospecting for gold. And you see that it was, you know, it was a very hard existence because Alaska is super unforgiving. Like that, that whole area, even in the summer, if you were in the shade, it was cold. Like I needed a coat, but then you would go across the street and get in the sun and it was, you know, 75, almost 80 degrees and it's, it's surreal. And so this whole time, you know, we're, we're getting off and we're going and seeing these little areas and the places there, they have a little bit of population in them, but the majority of the people that are there are from these cruise ships and we asked one person, well, how many people are here, you know, when it's not tourist season? And he said, this town only has 500, uh, residents in it that are year round.
1: Wow. Says, Everybody
0: else here is either here for tourist season or there are tourists and they're just visiting. And they were, you know cruise ship lets 10,000 something people off on every ship. And there's like four of them parked there. (laughs) So I mean, this place has got tons and tons of people in it and there's only like 500 people that live there full time. Oh, that's wild. it's, It's wild. And so, so we do all that stuff. And the craziest part of this whole trip is at the, at the end. So like we go up the inside passage and you get to the glacier bay and they go inside the glacier bay and then turn around and then you head back toward uh, Washington state, which is where we, you know, took off from on the, on the ship. And when you get into the glacier Bay, it's like the entire climate just changes and it starts snowing and it's extremely cold. And then you just, you're, you just see these giant glaciers and it's completely different than anything I've ever seen. And it's the weirdest looking blue, and yeah. it, the water just, it's a completely different color. I can't even really explain it. But that's about as far west as I've been. <laughs> so I've been to like the temperate deciduous forest, like that climate. I've seen its peak, but uh, I've only been in the desert probably, I don't know, maybe four days in total. Yeah. And that was all in Las Vegas. But we're hoping this year. We're trying to check off all the states. That's that's one of our goals. Uh, we're hoping to go to Utah. We're going to try to go to Zion, nice. I think, or Saint George. Yeah, and um, that area to me looks looks really beautiful. And you know, the Big Bend area that I'm I'm looking at pictures right now, it, it's absolutely gorgeous. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I understand why you would go out there and be recharged and and feel spiritually connected. Uh, just to you know, everything in the universe, because it, I mean, it looks like a place where you can really just find yourself.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. And man, that, that sounds like a really, really great trip. Um, y'all should definitely check out Lake Powell, Utah, if you're driving out that Lake way Powell. too. Yeah. You should go ahead and look that one up. I had a friend who worked there for a long time and it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's a dammed up river. Um, but it's just like, It's just like desert. It's like if someone filled the Grand Canyon with water, basically, right? Where it's just like, it's just like Canyon sheer rock sides. Like there aren't beaches. There's not a lot of vegetation. It's just red rock and water. And it's such a cool place. Um, it's great for like swimming, kayaking and paddleboarding and all that.
0: Um, we love all of that. That would, that's right down our alley. It sounds like that's
1: the spot in that area that I am trying to get back to the most. I've been once, um, Um, but there's also a lot of rock climbing in utah and so i'm trying to get out there for that as well at some point so
0: so this this trip that you took that that you you know you said you went all the way up to yosemite and you started in austin and then what was the next stop on that was that new mexico
1: yeah well so my first stop was el paso kind of more out of um needs because because el paso is (laughs) like el paso is like eight hours from austin i think i heard somewhere that el paso is closer to las vegas than it is austin texas
0: oh wow i didn't know that. yeah
1: it's texas is a huge state um and so i stopped in el paso but it ended up being pretty beautiful and then from there i camped at a, a hot spring campground in new mexico 10 out of 10 recommend always trying to find hot springs where you can when you're on the road um stayed at this great hot spring. I think it was called Faywood Hot Springs. Yeah, Faywood Hot Springs in New Mexico. And then um and then I hiked around Gila National Forest out there. And there are these like beautiful cliff dwellings. Um
0: is that like the adobo uh like built into the side of the mountains. Is that what yeah. that is or is that something different? Yeah,
1: that's a I think they're I think they're like fourteen thousand years old or something. So it's oh like something insane. Yeah um and yeah so these crazy crazy old dwellings um actually it might be 1400 years old don't don't quote me on that i (laughs) never quote me on a number i suck at those but um but yeah that it's really really amazing um and yeah you have that kind of classic new mexico where it goes from being desert to like deciduous forest um in a couple of miles it's really strange um, and then I went to Sedona, Arizona from there. Um, that was my first time going to Sedona. And it's that's an odd place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really liked it though. It was, um, yeah, it was. I did this beautiful hike. I think it was called Cathedral Rock. Um, I did this hike up Cathedral Rock, like right as it started to storm and the sun started to set. And so you had this lightning, you know, kind of going on on like the scape of a sunset and these crazy intense colors and then i saw a double rainbow later oh my gosh it was almost it was stupid beautiful you know and um i forgot my camera which i mean (laughs) (laughs) i left my phone in the car because i i think it was dying and i was like i'm just gonna enjoy the moment anyway and yeah at the top of cathedral rock i definitely had a moment so um that's
0: amazing yeah so
1: that was gorgeous and then i went to prescott arizona um which i had a friend who had previously lived there so i just wanted to check it out and met some friends of hers and um but then yeah from there i went to um saguaro national for national park in arizona um which are, have those huge saguaro cacti do you know what those are those they're like yeah they're like the classic cactus you know
0: that's the ones that you think of when people say there's a cactus and it's the ones with the big arms or whatever it's like
1: it's almost like a cartoon you know and uh, they're so tall they they'll be they'll be like 10 15 feet tall like even taller. so they're taller than you think they are they're massive and for some reason to me they all look like they're partying and celebrating you know like they got (laughs) their arms up um and so i think that was one of my one of the highlights of my trip was just hiking by myself and yeah and the first week of the trip was i was by myself just meeting up with friends and friends of friends along the road um which was really nice and then i stopped in joshua tree from there
0: oh very cool Yeah,
1: and did some rock climbing while i was there um a friend of mine brought who lived in la brought me a picnic it was really lovely <laughs>
0: oh that sounds amazing
1: so yeah and then um it's you know it's such a huge trip. It's kind of hard to like compartmentalize. Yeah, there's it. too many. Yeah, yeah. But I drove up Big Sur. Um,
0: oh, very cool. Yeah, up
1: the up the West Coast, which had been on my bucket list for a really really long time. And um, I I camped out on this beach. Um, I think it was something Quarry State Park, um, where you can camp almost on the beach, not quite, but you're close enough and um it was in this little inlet next to these huge sea cliffs and it was so interesting to me and maybe this is because i only went to the beach on the east coast right growing up but mm-hmm. when the sun started to go down everyone who was camping went and sat on the beach there were like 30 people who just like kind of intuitively just went to the beach to go watch the sunset and then everyone sat there and then when the sun went down they went back to their camps and it was was something so funny about that to me and i'm not really sure why i think because in north carolina the sunsets like the sunset is never over the ocean you know
0: yeah i mean unless you're unless you're i mean unless you're on the beach but it sets the opposite direction yeah so you're not looking at the water you're looking back toward land as the sun sets the sun rises at the uh, like we've been to the obx yeah. and the sunrises at obx are beautiful Yeah, and
1: you watch the sunrise because that's what's coming over the water right yeah and so that was kind of like a funny moment i was like wow i think i i just realized i was like wow i've never seen a sunset over the ocean before for some reason that's not that's wild. yeah i haven't even thought about yeah, that i didn't even think about it until i was there you know And um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And then, um, and then I, yeah, I picked up, I picked up a friend of mine at the airport in San Jose. She flew into, she flew in to join me so that we could climb in Yosemite. And um, Yosemite was amazing. That, like, just think, I don't know, the valley just gives me goosebumps. It's,
0: My wife that's on our bucket list. She wants to go there. So, I mean, it's, we're definitely, I will make a trip at some point. I just don't know when, but it's on the list. I've actually, um, I just bought a hat not long ago. It's a green snapback and it's got the Yosemite. Uh, I think I'm wearing it. I'm wearing it right now. (laughs) It's (laughs) got the Yosemite (laughs) patch on it. And and so uh, we will make a trip at some point to California to see that because it it just looks beautiful.
1: And the way it's, yeah, it's, You know, I'd seen pictures and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, you see pictures of beautiful, beautiful places. I've never seen a place that looks like the photo, like the Valley of Yosemite does on a sunny day. Like the way the granite reflects the light is, it almost looks silvery. It's stunning. And I think you were talking about like rocks and like, you know, kind of like the layers and how you can see all of that. It's, I think there's something really, and maybe this is the rock climber in me, there's something like, really profound about how we can admire beauty in rocks and in cliff sides. Because like if you're thinking from kind of like a evolutionary survival standpoint, there's no function for us to look at a rock and think that it's beautiful, right? Like it doesn't benefit us in any way. Right. And I think it's just
0: like it's another thing. It's just in the environment. Yeah,
1: right. And, you know, I also feel like there is no reason for God to make rock as beautiful as it is, you know but seeing like stunning cliff sides like that it's it's it just kind of reminds it just makes me think about like the things that have been made beautiful just for the sake of it you know like just for our enjoyment yeah. there's no evolutionary function like there might be with like flowers or something okay well it's good to think that a flower is beautiful because of x y and z right but no there's no reason yeah. for it a rock like cliff sides and rocks like that like they're just gorgeous for their own sake and that's and, how and God it was made, made
0: through you know, it was made through erosion or through plate tectonics. Um,
1: yeah. My geology
0: is coming out because I took that when I was at Western and had a great teacher. Blair uh, Tormey was the professor for oh. that. and he, he uh, Did you have him I, as well? I didn't. Did you take his But class? I knew
1: of him. But I took
0: a... Oh, he was great. I, did take,
1: I took like a natural history and coastal geology class while I was there. So, um, yeah. We'll keep going. He
0: would just the way he would talk about rocks is very similar to the way that you were explaining it as well. He, I mean, he would just have, he just had all these kinds of rocks and he would pick them up and be like, this is an enigm, an enigmious rock. He would like tell us all this stuff about it. And he says, this is a sedimentary rock. And he's, you could tell that he's just super passionate about it and then we do the whole thing with the plate tectonics and he's like this is how the mountain ranges are formed and he says then the mountain ranges are formed and then you have the rivers that cause the erosion and then you get these wild canyons like the grand canyon and just to think that all of that stuff is connected yeah. and we're just on this big ball like hurtling through space it's i mean it's insane
1: right yeah it's 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 crazy and the fact that you know okay so i had a professor i think it was i think his name was maybe dr young um but he was a coastal geology professor at western and he described geology as a hermeneutic science right so you're you're familiar with hermeneutics right a little bit and but he was talking about how it's like the idea of like like you it's a science but you have to read it you know you have to look at a rock and interpret what's happening there and you can't absolutely tell like Something definitely happened. I mean, you can you can only kind of come up with hypotheses, but it all comes with, like, how you read the land, how you read the rock, like, how you read the striations, you know, to, like, tell us. Yeah, it it's, tells it's, a story. it's the
0: interpretation of the information that you, that you have, and then how that information is related to what actually happened.
1: Right, like, what story it's telling, you know? Yes. So, if you have a tendency to love those kinds of things, then... Yeah, rocks are cool. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> rock on, rock right? On. Yeah.
1: So yeah, rock climbing is, has cha- has like changed my relationship with nature because um, there's so much analysis of what kind of rock you're climbing on, and like there's all this kind of you know you have different techniques for different kinds of rock, and so you have to like really kind of read like they say like you read the rock, you know, like you, re- yeah. you read the route um to figure out what the best way to get up it is and yeah it's just amazing to like get your hands on some get your hands on some rocks go outside like <laughs> you know
0: i, can't, I can't really- as a boy i had a pet rock and that is where the fascination yeah began.
1: right and ever since then like i went to i went climbing this past weekend outside austin and there is this um this this kind of cliff that i was climbing on that i think was about 40 feet tall out at Rymer's Ranch in Dripping Springs, Texas. And um, the name of the wall we were climbing on was Middle Earth Wall. And all the climbs were named after Lord of the Rings stuff. So,
0: oh, that is very yeah, cool. Yeah, it was really
1: great. Um, and so there's this one climb on there that's called, it's just called Middle Earth Cave. And it's a cave. It's like, think of like if someone took a cave and sliced it in half, right? So it's kind of like a half chimney, right? And you just kind of climb yeah. up it. And I climbed up it like two or three times and just sat, you know. I had someone belaying me, you know, holding the rope on the other side, and I was like, "Hey, I'm just gonna hang out in here and look at the rock, you
0: know." Yeah. <laughs> There's
1: such interesting formations and like crystals in there, and it was limestone, so you have like um these things that kind of it almost looks like a drip castle sometimes, like like in a typical cave, right? And it wasn't like yeah. a super deep cave, but it's just endlessly fascinating to me. Endlessly fascinating.
0: So when did you start rock climbing or how did you kind of get into that? Or did it just kind of happen organically?
1: Yeah, I, um, I started rock climbing, I think it was about four years ago now. Um, and I had some friends of mine from church who were like, Hey, you should come throw up a hammock and read while we rock climb outside. Right. I was, you know, it's like, that's easy enough. Um, and then, you know, eventually they they kind of got me on the wall, and I just immediately fell in love with it. You know, there's but like the physical activity of it, the nature aspect of it. Um, I'm not like a super intense adrenaline-driven person, some rock climbers are. I'm not. Um, it's it's kind of more meditative, you know. And um, yeah, I just immediately fell in love with it, and it got and it became another way to. Explore really, really beautiful places in a way that I hadn't before. Like, um, like for instance, when I was back home in North Carolina, I went and climbed at Pilot Mountain. Um, oh, very! Which cool. I grew up like seeing Pilot Mountain. You know, in North Carolina, like Pilot Mountain's iconic, and I didn't even know you could rock climb there. Like, I didn't even know you could climb up it. And so it's like I got to go to this place that I always thought was really interesting from my childhood, and experience it in a totally different way.
0: I bet the, the the viewpoint or the aspect of doing it differently and seeing it in a different light after previous experiences is probably just, I guess, breathtaking in a sense, but also not jarring. But um, I guess enlightening. Yeah,
1: I think it creates like a there's like a richness to it, you know, um, like a it, yeah, it's just like a another way to experience the same thing in on a deeper level. Yeah, so I, I climb in the gym most most weeks, but I'm trying to climb outside more often. It's a little hard to always get outside, you know? But, um, yeah. I, but I'm going to Mexico in two weeks to go rock climbing. Um,
0: oh, very cool. Yeah,
1: we're driving. Two friends and I are driving down from Austin out to this area outside Monterey called El Potrero Chico which definitely look that one up it's stunning and it's some of the most beautiful climbing in north and central america um these like it you know it's just like these stunning kind of slabs of rock jutting out of the land and i think they're around i think the tallest climb is maybe 1200 feet and maybe oh wow uh last time i was there i did a 600 foot multi-pitch climb and it's i straight up just like froze in the last 20 feet it scared me so badly oh, man. <laughs> but it's being up that high is so surreal and
0: see I, I don't really have a problem with uh, there's something weird like me and my dad are, are very similar and so we really don't have like a big fear like you know how some people are afraid of heights yeah. or they're afraid of spiders I, d- I really don't have anything that I'm extremely afraid of other than things that like insects, big insects that fly at your face. That's really about the only thing that I'm afraid yeah. of because like I can jump, like I've got a, a two-story house. I can get up on top of the house and it doesn't bother yeah. me. Like, I can climb up the ladders. It doesn't bother me. Uh, when I was at Western, I actually tried their rock wall. Uh, it's crazy that we were there and they had a rock wall and, and did you even climb it when we were there? Yeah,
1: I did it. I did it once and you know the thing with the uh, the thing with gym rock walls is they have different grades and i cl- i think i climbed a grade that was too hard and thought that i just couldn't do it but if yeah. you can climb a ladder you can climb a wall you know
0: yeah i mean that, that's 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 kind of what they were telling me because i i climbed the rock wall there at western and and i had fun but it didn't really strike me at that point in my life as something that Hey, I need to be super interested in this or like, this is the thing for me. Um, but one of my other friends, uh, when I was a freshman, he fell in love with it. Like we climbed, we climbed the wall one time and then he was like, this is the best thing that I've ever done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he went and bought like shoes and a chalk bag and like a harness and all of this stuff. And he would, he would go and climb like every, every other day he was going and climbing and, and doing that. And I was like, man, you're. You're getting really into this. And he goes, I love it. He's like, I can't, I can't do it enough. And I think another guy that was in the PAR department with us, uh what was his name? I think it was Jimmy. Do you remember Jimmy?
1: I don't think I do.
0: He was kind of a bigger guy. He lifted weights a whole lot. He he was into the rock climbing. Oh, really? He did that. Yeah. He 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 had like a major transformation. So he lived right beside me my freshman year in college in Walker and he was real thin and uh, he liked to go outside and fish all the time and he was just very, you know, like outdoorsy. Mm. Like He just, you know, I mean, you know, people that go to Western, we're, oh, yeah. we like to be outside. Oh, That's yeah. what we do. We're into the adventure, you know, the top adventure school in the Southeast. Right, yeah. So very much, you know, into all that kayaking, fishing, all that cool stuff, camping. And he took like some time off and then I saw him again and he had put on like maybe 20 or 30 pounds of just solid muscle. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Like he got, he, I mean, he just got jacked
1: and he was,
0: I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. He was, it might've been. And he, I mean, that's, I would see him all the time at the rock wall, like belaying people. And he, him and my other friend were just really into it but it wasn't it, i don't know like i i enjoy it when i when i've done it in the past but i've never done anything like what you're talking about where i go and just climb the side of a mountain like i've hiked up you know mountains but i've never i've never rock climbed that way it seems very very interesting from the way you talk about
1: yeah, it yeah and there's i think if you love nature if you love um if you have like an analytical side right and you're yeah. looking for a physical activity that isn't um you know that, that like it's you know it's so core based like it's more it, ha- it takes a lot more core and stamina than people think like you don't necessarily just muscle up the wall every time it's almost sometimes i compare it more to being like yoga right um it's like ver- oh that's it's almost like vertical yoga like you have to think about your balance you have to think about how you're moving your body you know in addition to the grip aspect so there's so much more than just having strong arms Um, So if you're looking for something that's kind of like that, yeah, so something like that, you know, if you like nature and you have an analytical side, analytical side, I would definitely say it's a great.
0: Give it a shot. Yeah,
1: give it a shot. And if y'all are going, if y'all are trying to hit every state and y'all end up in Texas and y'all end up in Austin, I will take you guys climbing.
0: Oh, wow. that That sounds like fun. We'll have to, I'll have to think about that. That's that. I would really take you up on that. That sounds like yeah, fun.
1: Absolutely.
0: What, you know, what kind of gear do you have? I mean, you harness helmet. I mean, you talked about belaying. I mean, where, if someone's going to get started, how do they get started? Basically, what do they need to get?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, pretty much all you need to start on the, on like the most basic level is a pair of climbing shoes. So, um, you can go to bouldering gyms by yourself. Um, and bouldering is climbing under. I think it's usually around twenty feet tops, right? It's it's climbing mm-hmm. maybe like ten to twenty feet, maybe even less, with no rope um, and no protection. And um, that's something that anyone can do by themselves, right, at a gym. Um, well,
0: they they had that at Western too, I think. Yeah. And they would change the they would change the route. So they would, if I'm remembering correctly, they would have a route and it would be taped and then they would say, we're going to keep this route up for a week. Right. And if you were interested in climbing that route, you would, they kind of have like a little competition. It.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: They they would like have it. They'd have like, they had like some kind of board and it had their name on it and like how much time it took them to climb that route. And then after a week they would change it and they would take the little, you know, the little knobs and the handles and the footholds off and they would rearrange them. Yeah. And then they would mark a new route and say, okay, we've got a new route. It'll be up for a week and people will go and do that. So I've seen people boulder before and I mean, I've tried, I haven't tried it. I've, I've only done the belay uh, type climbing where, you know, you just go straight up and then you belay yourself back down with someone on the ground. But I think that would be very interesting because, and I'm going to ask a, a, I don't know, not a personal question, but um, do you know anything about the Enneagrams? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what number Enneagram are you?
1: Okay. So here's, here's something that's interesting. I always thought I was an Enneagram five wing four. Um, okay. And then, but recently I've like, I, I took the test and then my therapist was like, I think you're, I think you're Enneagram four. Right. And, um, yeah. And so I think I'm actually a four wing five. Um,
0: that's that's vastly different <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's very different yeah and i think it's i think it's because like i think i have a little bit more of like kind of like a you know emotionally in tune side which fives, fives sure. tend to be like analytical to a fault um or like you know intellectualizing emotions but i think i'm i tend to be like really empathetic and kind of emotionally in tune and so i think the intellectual side is actually the creative thought at play of the four. I don't know, that was a long answer, but
0: No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so um, I would
1: say if, I would say four wing 5.
0: Very cool. Um if you're wondering what the enneagram is, you can search enneagram if you're listening and you can take some free tests and find out what your number is. I am technically a 9 with a 1. Oh, really? Yes. So I I feel um I I like to keep things peaceful. I don't like a whole lot of confrontation. Um, I'm very focused on, you know, harmony kind of with, with, with everyone, but being a nine with a one, it, I have a very logical based perception of how things should go. And so I see a lot of connection, like with, with the way that my mind works and and rock climbing from the way that you describe it because of that, and that analytical side, because, you know, ones are very like, there's a right way to do things and this is how we're going to do them. And there's only one way to do it. Yeah. But in the, in the other sense, that's just my wing. Like I'm not a full one because I'm more concentrated on, you know, I'm technically labeled as the peacekeeper. Mm. So I'm more like, like provoked on, okay, how do we make everyone have a good time? Like, how does, how does all of this work together so that all of us are, you know, going in the same direction and all of us are, you know, partners in, in doing yeah. this, but they say that, um, that nines like for physical activity for a nine that we, uh, like to swim, which is a very, you know, singular person thing.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. And so like, I'm, I, when you're saying this and, you know, we're, I'm thinking about it, I see how this kind of relates to like my physical side where I'm very much entrenched in jujitsu. Mm.
1: And, that's you know, if you're,
0: if you're listening, yeah, if you're listening to the podcast, you've heard me talk about this at nauseum, so I won't go into it extremely, but I see a lot of the similarities in the rock climbing as in jujitsu where, you know, you, you're planning out your route and, and how I go from one situation to another situation and get to the end goal that you have. And so that's, that's why I asked what Enneagram you were, because I thought we might be in the same, in the same number. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and actually, okay, so I, I don't know if I I don't know you pr- you wouldn't know this, but I actually did martial arts in high school, and Very cool. I've got a black belt um in Tushindo Ninjutsu. But it um I think about I think about my practice in martial arts when I'm rock climbing all the time, right? Really, yeah, like
0: so I'm not I'm not just crazy no. thinking about that how it really Yeah, and there's
1: actually a book called The Rock Warrior's Way where they basically take kind of like martial art philosophy and apply it to your, um, your head game when you're rock climbing, that's what people often call it as your head game, basically where your head's at when you're climbing. Cause there are things like, um, you know, when you're on a wall and you feel fear, you still have to make a choice. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a lot with, um, there's a lot of connection there with martial arts. Like I remember, you, you want to be analytical, but you also can't get too caught up in that because you don't have time to, you know, so yeah, you have like to make a choice and you have to know where your body is, like where it's positioned and, you know, where your weight is, how you keep your balance. Like, it's very, very similar in that way. You're just not punching anybody
0: <laughs> with, or grappling. With grappling. I guess it's grappling. Yeah when, you, <laughs> yeah. when you're grappling, it's more, you know, you're, you're. If you know, like, if I'm if I'm against a similar belt level as me, I can do a pretty good job of not getting submitted, and I can put the other person in some, you know, hairy situations. But most of the time, it, it'll end up a draw. Yeah. Like if it's and and I'm a blue belt, so I'm still pretty new at jujitsu, but um, because jujitsu's it's a lot different than any other martial art. Like yeah. it just takes so much time because it it is such a learned practice of a martial art. Right. So against against my peers, I can hit things and I can go to positions and I can kind of play my game. But as soon as I go against someone of a higher belt level, I, I mean, it's like I'm in a whole nother universe. Yeah. I mean, they, it, it, and I can see kind of the similarity between that, where, you know, if, if I'm going against someone who's a lot better than me, I'm having to be more technical and I'm having yes. to think about each move that I make so that I don't put myself in a bad situation further down the road to where then I can't defend myself. And I see that in what you're kind of saying with the rock climbing, because you've got to, you know, you may be in a situation where it's like, Hey, this is kind of sketchy, but I have to continue to move forward. I can't just stop here because then I will come off the wall because you can't just hold on forever.
1: Yes, Exactly. And, and actually we describe it that way uh, of like a climb might be more technical than another climb, Like, you know, there's, there's technique and then there's like strength. And I think that's a huge, um, parallel with martial arts as well. Like some people, I'm sure we used to do a little bit of grappling, um, when I did martial arts and I'm five, three. And when I was in high school at the time, I was like five, three and like 115 pounds. Right. And yeah. so I'm tiny, you know? And so I can't muscle, you know, I can't muscle someone like some, like, you know like a a big tall burly dude might be able to so i had to rely a lot more on technique and that translated into climbing because being short doesn't necessarily benefit climbing that much (laughs) (laughs) you know but i can still get off walls by doing things a little bit differently and i think it makes my technique smoother and it makes it um you know i think it makes me a better climber in a lot of ways than if i could just be tall and you know just use two arms to pull myself up every time.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think the to me and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but the adage is that climbing is mostly an arm type sport or, you know, activity, but I feel like you're using your legs a lot more and your core like you said before, a lot more than what people think because you're using your legs to kind of anchor you to the wall and, you know, if you know anything about points of contact, the more points of contact you have on a surface, The more stable you are,
1: right? Exactly. I think a good comparison is that no one climbs a ladder with their arms, right? Yeah, it's
0: all with your legs, isn't it? Yeah,
1: a lot of it's with your legs, and then you have your your arms for balance. And there are definitely some climbs, like um, if something is overhung, and that's like you know describing a wall that is kind of coming out you know, over your head where you're, you kind of end up upside down. If something is overhung upper body strength definitely benefits you a lot, but there are some, there are some climbs like, um, um, it's called slab climbing where it's really common for like, um, kind of sandstone or granite where you don't have a lot of handholds to hold onto. Like, um, with granite, you just have these little crystals in the wall, right? and yeah. um usually it's on a little bit of an incline right and so it's kind of more like if you're like when you were a kid and you would like run up a slide you know where you just like use your hands yeah. like that's sometimes climbing is like that right where it's more about yeah. it's more about your balance and how you're distributing that um and sometimes you're using your feet and all you're using your hands for is to just touch the wall to like you know barely keep your balance on it you know so i think that's that's something that i wish um that's something that i would want a lot of people to know is that i think anyone can climb you don't need to have a lot of upper body strength to start it it really is adaptable to like so many different kinds of body types you know so you don't have to start out as like someone who is has like a ton of upper body strength to do it like wherever anyone is they can they can climb
0: and I guess climb successfully would be kind of what you're what you're saying, like still do it and, and, and enjoy it and get to, uh, I guess, a, a spot on the thing that you're climbing where you want to go. Right. Is that kind of what you're mean? Yeah,
1: right. And there are also different grades, like each climb has a different number grade to it. Even out in nature, um, you can look at a wall. It's it's like the, um, you know, like a really easy climb would be like a five, a five, five climb. And then a really difficult one. I think it goes as high as like five fourteen or something. Wow! And that's like um, that's stuff that's like impossible. I'm like a 510, 510 climber, you know. Oh wow! Um, which that's uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I I can tell you right now that I I'm I'm, I'm a low five climber, yeah. so a five ten is that's that's impressive to me. And
1: so, but it's like a kid, um, you know, like a five five climb is one that. A, you know a kid can get up that you know and there are climbs like that that are at the gym there are climbs like that that are out in nature and so no matter where you're starting you can find a place to start basically you know you might not be awesome at first but there will be a starting point um and it's just it's so much fun um oh yeah so climbing shoes that's like the bare minimum right and then um a chalk bag is also bare minimum and then If you want to do ropes climbing like top rope which is what you were describing at western on the wall um then you want to get a harness and then if you're outside you need um at least all of those things shoes chalk bag harness and then a rope and these things called quick draws which you can clip clip into bolts that are bolted into walls outside um and you want a helmet so um
0: Yeah, helmet seems like a must
1: yeah and the helmet is actually something that i learned that i didn't know before rock climbing is that the helmet is less about like i mean it's um it's good to like you don't really need a helmet when you're in the gym because the um the helmet benefits you the most from rock fall like if a rock falls on you then Yeah. yeah or like if you're doing some really intense climbing you know outside then the helmet is helpful for like hitting your head but even belayers should wear helmets out when they're outside climbing, um, even if they're not on the wall. It's good to have. So
0: that's a good uh, that's a good piece of advice. Yeah,
1: that was something that kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about rocks falling. You know, that's why you don't really need a helmet in the gym. So
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you know usually if you're you know climbing on the wall with a person that's belaying you, they're not going to let you hit the ground. And
1: ideally. If <laughs>
0: Yeah, ideally, <laughs> and if you're doing bouldering, you're only twenty feet off the ground, and and usually if you let go, you can still land on your feet and roll. So it's not, you know. Yeah. I guess it, you're right. I mean, you don't really think about that stuff though when you're in the moment. I guess yeah. and you're just rock climbing at the gym at Western.
1: Yeah, right, right. And then um, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and so then so once you get outside, you know, for in a gym, you know, that's all you need is like you know shoes, chalk, back harness, right. And then once you get outside, there are so many different levels and types of climbing, like um, um, there's sport climbing where the routes have bolts in the wall, like I was describing. And then you have anchors at the top and you have to get the rope up there um, to climb. Well, I mean, you climb and then you get the rope up there and then other people can, t- can top rope behind you. Um, but you use the bolts to clip in along the way as you go um, to get the rope up. And then, um, so that's called sport climbing when there's like gear in the wall. And then there's also something called trad climbing when as you climb, you have to place gear in the wall. There are like these spring-loaded things called cams that you kind of stick in the yeah. crack. Have you seen those before?
0: Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. And it's like, it makes an anchor point and then you l- loop into that and then you go up and make another one.
1: Yeah. And that's, and yeah, so all that gear, that's when it gets really expensive. So that's where I've stopped. I'm like, ah, I'm not there yet. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> you know, Claire goes. I got to get to a 514 yeah. before I can, uh, before I start doing that kind of and, stuff. And and
1: no one, no one should ever do the the Alex Honnold thing and free solo Yosemite and just climb without any gear. Did you watch that documentary? Yeah,
0: I've seen. Yeah, I've seen He's, that. That's that's insane. No, there's
1: no good reason to do that, in my opinion. Like, he he is he like could have climbed that climb blind probably with gear on like he had done it so many times so it's not like he just like looked at it and did it like he had done that climb like
0: hundreds of times probably yeah
1: and but still I'm like there's no good reason to do that like yeah
0: I mean all it takes is one you know one piece of rock breaking away and there you go yeah or
1: just you slip sometimes you, you you know you put your foot down somewhere and you think it's solid but then it's not as solid as you think you know, maybe it rained that day. It's a little wet on the rock, a little more wet than you thought it would be. You know? So, um,
0: I mean it's nature,
1: it's nature, but, um,
0: it's unforgiving.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 10 out of 10 recommend climbing. Um, yeah, for sure. There's this, I think I had this point when I was in Mexico, I think this was when I really, really fell in love with climbing. Um, I think I was around 400 feet up on this cliffside, and, um, it's Petrero Chico, Mexico is a lot like Texas where you have a lot of succulents and cacti and it's really scratchy and scraggly. And, um, but there, you know, the rock is this beautiful limestone that's jutting out of the ground. And I was like 400, 400 and something feet up on this cliffside, And I couldn't see my belayer, right? Because he was above me at the end of the climb. And I just felt so alone on this cliffside in a good way, right? And I put put my hand in this pocket. It was like a perfect little hand pocket when I was climbing. And I saw the tiniest succulent. It was perfect, David. It was like the size of maybe maybe the size of a quarter, right? And I had this moment. I've got goosebumps thinking about it. Like, who is going to see that? You know, you're 400 and something feet up on a cliffside, and there's this tiny, tiny, perfect succulent that's just there. And it's like I got the honor of getting to just, like, witness it you know uh um, yeah, yeah it I, was amazing
0: i feel the same way i mean i i hunt um i'm in nature a lot i mean i i like to camp i'm outside it and when you go hunting like there's there may be some days where you know you don't see anything but you're still just out there yeah and and you see things in a different way because You know, it's crazy because you go out there and like for me, I'm in, I'm in all camo and I wear my orange blaze or whatever, but you know, if, if you didn't know that I was there and I didn't have the orange on, it'd be really hard to see me. And I'm, I'm pretty quiet. Like I don't make a whole lot of noise or anything. And eventually the smaller animals that, you know, they don't fear, you know, a hunter uh, birds and squirrels and that kind of thing. They get used to whatever your presence is in that place. Right. And they just start to get closer and closer and they just think that you're part of their world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: you just get to sit there and, you know, take all of that in and just see how those creatures live their life. And it's, I don't know, there's something so special about it where it's almost like you're seeing something you're not supposed to see. Yeah. And you, you get like a little peek behind the curtain of, okay, this is what their existence is like. And for a moment, you just get to observe. Right. And to me, that that is so cool because, you know, in in our world, you know, in in human beings world, we're very fast paced and we've built all this stuff. And we have all this technology, but there's still, like you said, there's little pockets in that side of the mountain where there's just this succulent hanging out and yeah. it's just doing its thing. And, That's what it's there for. And it's just chilling.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, just the idea that there's so much, there's so much that's always happening that we don't even witness, you know, like we're so, we're so kind of locked, you know, locked in our own like day-to-day lives, but somewhere that, yeah, there's, I don't know. There's a succulent in a wall, 450 feet up in Mexico. That's just hanging. And that's where it's supposed to be. And
0: it's crazy. Yeah.
1: I think, um, yeah, I think something that I love about, like, you know, all this stuff, car okay. camping too. I, I do a lot of camping by myself. And, um, you know, it's like you have to, when you're camping, it's like you have to take care of yourself. Like you have to, you know, find food, yeah. be warm, all this stuff. It's a lot of work. Right. But at the same time, being in that space, I kind of feel like I think about myself less. Right. Like, yeah. It's like,
0: because you're more focused on. What else, what's going on around you, I guess.
1: Yeah, right. And then, yeah, it's like you, you just get to kind of witness what's happening in front of you and interact with it and respond to it. You know, whether that's like, oh, it's raining, I need to get warm, or like, oh, wow, look at that, you know, elk on my campground. And, you know, there's, um, yeah, it's like there's kind of like a beautiful opportunity in camping where it's like in taking care of yourself and meeting all of your basic needs, you also then kind of, Get to ignore your kind of ignore yourself to a degree and just like witness and connect with the order of nature that's happening around you and it's yeah definitely definitely humbling um for sure
0: but there's something about just that connection with nature where like i feel like when we because we go out to uh, mount gilead and and camp out there in the uari um in north carolina and I mean, that area has, some human development, like there's a road and I usually like you camp in a truck with a truck tent. yeah. So it's not like, it's not like I'm roughing it. I mean, it's not, it's not all, uh, hardcore primitive camping because I I do, I do like to not get wet and I like to sleep off of the ground. (laughs) I'm, I'm to to that point. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know. There's just something about it where the circadian rhythm takes back over
1: and
0: you're out there for a few days and you wake up when the sun comes up and you get tired when the sun goes down. And to me, there's just some kind of reset inside of me that once I'm out there for that long and I'm in the dark and there's no light pollution and you just enjoy the sounds of, of the night. Yeah. I don't know. There's something I just love about it. And you, like the last time we were out there, we, you know, I'm, I'm again, I'm in no real danger. Uh, but I hear, you know, stuff walking around outside.
1: Right. Right.
0: And it's just, you know, that's part of we're in their world and we're just part of their world now. And to me, that's, that's the cool part of just being in nature and not just spending like it again, a big culture shock of me moving to the big city. I grew up in a small town in Western North Carolina. So it, it again, I've, I've come acc- accustomed to living in the city, but there's moments where I really, really miss living in the country where things are a little bit slower.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. How do you, how do you find that like day to day, like, um, living in the city, like where, where do you try to find that kind of slowness?
0: A lot of it has to do with just, well, I like jujitsu a lot. So I think, I think about that a lot. Um, I don't know. I I like to take the dogs on a walk. I like to be with them outside. Um, I don't know. It's it, taking these trips with, with Mallory is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, those really get me recharged um, doing these, doing these podcasts where, you know, I I've done a lot, of, like there's been other episodes like the ones on if, if you guys have listened to the ones about the Colts. Or, um, you know, other the other uh, podcasts are a little bit more informative. I had to do a lot of research. And so, yeah. I mean, Claire, Claire knows this. And in our philosophy uh, degree, you have to read a lot. And so I find a lot of a lot of solace in that. And, it, and I'm kind of uh, an introverted extrovert. So I can I can get recharged just by, you know, taking a few minutes just to be by myself. Yeah. and And that really helps me helps me out a lot, but I don't know. I mean, I, I try to, I try to go outside as much as I can. Um, I mean, we've got a, we're pretty lucky. We've got a pretty good yard here at our house. Oh, and that's so, good. yeah, we, I let the dogs out and they go crazy and it's just fun, you know, watching them. I've, one of the dogs is a bird dog, so she points at pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just really fun to see her interact with, with nature and all the birds and, and all of that stuff. And she, in the morning, she goes from one window on the bottom floor, just to each window in the house, just looking outside, watching squirrels. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Just her <laughs> appetite for the outside world and little critters. So it, it, I don't know. I, I, I kind of get recharged just through all of that together. And, and I'm lucky that I'm not like in the middle of, of the city. We're in a, in a little suburb. or really close. Oh, um Yeah, we're really close to South Carolina, so we're not like right in the main, you know, area of Metro Charlotte, but, uh, I don't know, it, just being outside and, you know, I, I wake up pretty early, so I get, I, and Mallory likes to sleep in, so it's kind of weird. You know, they say that two people marry one another and one of them is always a night owl and the other one's the early (laughs) bird. So I definitely wake up early and I get recharged, um just through spending a, a, you know, some time to myself and just interacting with the dogs. I I think that helps me, helps me a lot, but I was going to ask you before we go, I don't know if you've ever seen the show alone. I think that you would like it. It's it's kind of like a reality show. If you've ever watched, um, lone survivor or something like that, they take a group of 10 people and in the past they were kind of against one another and they take them out and put them in a remote location and they see who can survive, you know, on their own the longest and they can only, yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Like it's, it is extremely hardcore. Like these people are survivalists. Like they're legit, but they can only take like 10 things with them and, and that's it. Like, that's all they get is, are those 10 10 things. things. So I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to list 10, but I'm going to ask you like, what are your, you know, top, three or four necessities that you take with you when you go car camping?
1: Oh, that's a good question. And I'm glad, I'm glad I don't have to think about what 10 things I would bring alone. I'd probably bring a phone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They they give you a, so, so for the show, they give you all the equipment to film yourself. So these people are filming themselves and they come in and do a safety check with them. Like, I think it's every four days they come in and do a safety check to check their health, make sure they're okay. And then they also give them a satellite phone that if, you know, say like you emergency. like Yeah, like like in the in the first season of it that I watched, this guy was walking on some rocks like near a lake and he got his foot hung and he fell and he he broke his leg basically. Oh man. And so he had to call and they come and lifted him out and he's like, I really don't want to leave. And the doctor was like, Well, your leg's definitely broken. Um, I think you're done. And so they <laughs> it's very safe. Like it is safe. It's a controlled environment, but there's still some risk when they go into that. So, I mean, you're right. A, a, <laughs> a way to contact the outside world is definitely a good choice yeah. for something to take car camping. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So I think the things, yeah, the things that I always kind of make sure I have, um, I have a, I have a solar lamp that I really like to bring. Um, I like got like a Lucy solar. It's one of those inflatable lanterns um okay that's great um and so definitely always have like a source of light you know whether that's like a lantern or i got these little usb charged um kind of christmas lights that i put on inside my car so that i don't have to use my car's battery if i'm in it at night
0: that's very cool um,
1: and then so those are great i have these um i have these kind of mesh things that go over the window so i can open the window but have um Mesh to keep, like some protection, yeah, yeah, those are awesome. I bought those, um, this past year and they've been very clutch. Um, and uh, especially since it's so hot in Texas, that sometimes, yeah, it's like you need the windows to be open. Um, collapsible crates are a really big one. Um, so I have these, uh, these milk crates that I got on Amazon that collapse to where they're flat, right?
0: Oh, that's very cool. And so
1: I'm, um, I'm very um, particular about how I store my things when I'm car camping. Cause I've got ADHD and I'll lose stuff and I'll never be able to find it. <laughs> you know, like I have to be very, and that's actually something I love about car camping is that it makes me, it kind of forces me to have a process. Right. To have to like yeah. think through where I'm putting things. Cause when I'm at my house, I'm like, I, threw, I don't know. I found my keys like on a bookshelf and I don't know how they got there. <laughs> like, you know, so, um, which also my number one, my number one tip for car camping. This is a really good one. Are you ready?
0: Yeah, I'm ready. So, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay.
1: Number one tip for car camping is don't lose your keys.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, that is, that's pretty important. Yeah, that's
1: pretty important. But, um, but yeah. So I like to have, um, milk crates um so smaller crates i used to camp when i would go camping i used to bring like a big sterilite tub with all my stuff in it and then you have to dig through the whole thing so it's nice to have small crates that you can kind of take out when you're looking for something specific
0: um so the way so the way i have it set up so i've got i've got my rig that i kind of keep in the in the truck kind of all the time like it's not set up but you know all the stuff's kind of just in there you know yeah Cause I'm well one, I'm kinda lazy and I'm like, well, I'm I don't want to lug this stuff in and out like fifty times. So I want to keep the essentials like here because this is a good place for them to stay. And it's just me and Mal, so I'm not like toting anybody around in my truck yeah. basically. But I took um at work they had these uh crates that you know, like soda can or soda bottles come yeah, in, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those. And, and and I have I have a whole bunch of those because uh the people that were bringing us the soda, I tried to give them back to them, and they said, "Oh, we're not using those anymore. Um, we're we're not going to take them back." And so they just like sat around for forever at the, at the office. And eventually, I asked them when I said, "If no one's going to take these, I want like eight of them." Yeah. So now I've got these uh, soda containers that the the bottles came in, like you know the the regular twelve ounce bottles. And that's what I, I categorize all my stuff in it. So like, I've got like hunting hats and like toboggans and, you know, things that you would, you know, like face shields and stuff. Like if it gets pretty cold, like, okay, this is that tote. I want to take this stuff out and put it on and my head will stay warm. And then I've got another one that's just got like, you know, tent stuff. Like it's got the hammer and some pegs and whole bunch of different things but those things are very helpful and what i'm planning on doing at some point is building like a what i want to do is build like a little platform my truck has slots in it to where i could build like a platform bed in the back Mm -hmm. and then i can take those uh crates and then slide them under the platform bed and and make like a little drawers which would be perfect for truck camping like that
1: yeah that's yeah those are perfect because they, they probably stack really well, right?
0: They do. Yeah. So like, if there's nothing in, like if I, if I'm not storing anything in like two or three of them, I just stack them inside one another and then put all those stuff in the top one and then it's ready to go.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. So things like that, like those, those soda can crates, those are kind of like the flat ones. I think I know what the, what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, and they,
0: they don't have much of a lip on the edge. Like they're very, they're deep, but the sides are kind of shallow.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, so like those and like milk crates are kind of, yeah, kind of similar and in that they stack really well. And um, also I always have bungee cords on me. Like, yes, <laughs> you know, bungee cords are huge for everything. Um, and then, yeah, multi, I have like a really great multi-tool. That's like, it's a hammer, it's pliers, it's a knife, it's a saw. Oh, you've got
0: one of those big, I'm, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. It's kind of like, it looks kind of like a hatchet, except it's, you know, a little bit smaller. Yeah. And it's got the hammer attached. Yeah, yeah, Those things are very helpful.
1: Right. Yeah, those are great for every like everything. Like I don't know, I've cut up vegetables with mine. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I'm like cooking. I'm like this is all I need. You know, and and then I'm like hammering in my tent if I have a tent. You know, if I'm not sleeping in my car. And yeah. So having a, having like a really good multi tool that works for you, huge, Um, power banks, really good or do
0: yeah. You have for your. So what I do is um. I've got an extra, my truck actually has an extra battery slot oh, wow. in it. So in some, in some big trucks like that do. And so like, you know, I'm using mine for hunting, so it's better for me to have, you know, the space to put stuff in, in the bed. And, and cause it, what are you out of like a Subaru? Is that what you're?
1: Yeah, I'm in a 2016 Subaru Forester.
0: So yeah, so that's got plenty of room and you're encapsulated. See for me, like I'm having to build a tent in the back of the bed of the truck. Yeah and then i take the tent down when i want to drive so that's that's one negative of the way that that i do it yeah but um
1: have you looked at like getting a shell i know a lot of people put a sh-
0: i have like my that's what my father-in-law has he has a camper cover yeah and he's built like a he he built an actual bed platform on it for a twin size mattress that has a drawer in it
1: yeah Oh, that's and great. It's, I
0: mean, it is slick. Like it and the drawer goes like the full length of the bed of the truck. Like it, it it's just super nice. And he can carry so much stuff um, back there. But for me, oh power banks. So what I do is I have the extra battery slot. And so I take a um I take one of the batteries out that's not hooked up to the truck. And I usually, when I, when I go out there and camp, I turn all of the light stuff off. So like if I accidentally leave a door cracked or something, my battery won't die.
1: Yeah. So
0: I, I turn all of that stuff off and, um, I usually, I usually take a spare key with me somewhere. Like you said, you don't want to lose your keys (laughs) if you're camping out of your vehicle. That's like the worst thing ever. So I usually have an extra key somewhere, but what I have is a, um, I have a power adapter that I got from Walmart and it can hook up either to the cigarette lighter in the truck, or you can switch the cables on it and it can hook directly to a car battery. Oh, that's cool. And so what I do is I take the extra car battery and I put it in the, you know, in the bed of the truck with me in the tent. And then I just hook up the adapter to that and it gives me AC power.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, so then I can, anything that has a plug, I can just plug it into that adapter. And as long as that battery is charged, um, I can, I can use, you know, I can use it to charge my phone or I have this big spotlight thing that, um, that I take, like if we go and we're just going to camp and it's going to be super, super dark, yeah. um, it's, it's, uh, it's rechargeable. So usually I take the charger for it just in case it goes bad, but I also have, um, like, you know, just regular like D4 batteries in a mag light. I have that too. So I don't know. There's, a, there, I could go on and on about camping stuff oh, yeah. forever. Like it's, it, to me, it's so interesting. And, <laughs> and this past Christmas, my mom was like, what do you want for Christmas? I was like, just camping stuff. Yeah. Like, just get me camping stuff. And so I got a new cot, which I'm very excited about. Um, my other one is about, I don't know, 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's super old. It, um, it's, and it's not like the normal army cot, you know, like that folds down and it's just the canvas. This was a spring, oh, a wow. metal spring cot that has a foam mattress on okay. it. Oh, So, So, yeah, it was the first time I went with like a whole bunch of my father-in-law's friends, like we, they put up this big tent and I put my cot out and put my foam pad down and put my sleeping bag on it. And they all looked at me like, well, what is this? And I said, just you wait. I said, come tonight when you guys have to sleep on the ground. <laughs> You're gonna be wishing you had this thing. Yeah. And sure enough, the later that night they all got curled up on the ground and I hear them they're like, Oh, there's a root in my back and I'm like, There's not a root in my back. I'm off the ground. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that's you know, I think part of the the you know, I've I've done a lot of tent camping and I love tent tent camping. I'm not sure if I'll go back now. You know,
0: <laughs> no. Once you once you stay in the car and you realize that you're dry and you're up off the yeah. ground, there's no reason to go back. Yeah,
1: and my and a, a huge thing with like with um camping that I always tell people is that like definitely think outside the box, like you did with the crates. There's a lot of stuff that you can use that isn't necessarily marketed for camping. Like um you know for the um my mattress quote unquote in the back of my car that I use for car camping is a tri folded. Memory foam topper that one of my roommates left yeah. behind. you know
0: that's perfect. And yes, it's,
1: it's more comfortable than my than my own bed. You know, and oh, that's crazy. And it's it's so efficient. It's like so nice to not have to really set up camp or like clean or you know or like put up a tent and everything at the end. Especially when you're on the road for a road trip, you can just hop in your car and go. You know, like you you go from the back seat to the front seat, maybe make some coffee. You ready? To yeah, go. like when I was in Yosemite. With um, my friend Izzy, we had to wake up at 4 a.m. to go hike um, Half Dome, which is really, that's a long, that's like the hardest hike I've ever been on. But um, I was sleeping in the back of the car. She was sleeping in the tent at the campsite, and I was still in the back of the car, and she just hopped into the driver's seat and started driving. Like, I had all my stuff already, and I got to sleep an extra 30 minutes back there. There you go. You know, and so it's it's very, very convenient and I'm not sure like I I'll tent camp sometimes, but I think I'm going to favor car camping for quite a while. For me,
0: it's the accessibility, like anywhere I can take that four wheel drive truck, yep. I can stay there. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's the, that's the allure of car of truck camping or car camping is that anywhere I can drive this truck, I can sleep here and be perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, Claire, this has been awesome. This has been a great episode. Is there anything you want to add here at the end? Um,
1: I think, uh, I, you know, do it, just go out and do it. That's a big thing. Um, also, something that I think is important to say is that uh, I think everyone should learn how to pee in the woods. <laughs> I know that's like, a, <laughs> <laughs> that's like a side thing, but just, I, you know, all of this stuff is so much easier than I think people think it is. Like, if you want to, if you want to, like, hit the road, you can hit the road. You know, if you want to go be in nature, you can be in nature. Like, it's, it's as accessible as you want it to be, and you just have to choose it.
0: Well, a lot of people don't realize that there's public land out there that is owned by everyone, and we can go to it and enjoy it and hike it, and no one can say anything to you about it. You can camp for free. It's our land. Yeah,
1: it's our land. It's it can be. Yeah, you can camp for free. You know, so absolutely.
0: Man, this has been an awesome episode. Uh, if you guys want to reach out to us and tell us what your favorite car camping tips are, or just you know, give us some advice for the next time when we go out in the woods, uh, you can do that. The email address is styles.and.friends.podcast at gmail.com, or you can drop me a note on Instagram, that's Styles and Friends Podcast on there as well. Or if you want to be kind enough and leave us a voicemail, you can do that as well and tell me, hey, this is what I do, and it's better than what you're doing. (laughs) That number is 828 549 8842 Claire it's been great to catch up with yeah, you Yeah
1: you as well David thanks for thanks for having me on here
0: Yeah no problem and I guess we'll talk to you guys next time